I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, the brutal Liverpool footballing machine remain relentless against an injury-ravaged Spurs. We ask whether January signings can save the North London Lilywhites from the disgrace of finishing outside the top four. It's Doomwatch at the other end of the table. The fates of Burnley, Bournemouth, Norwich and Aston Villa are all assessed with a rigour seemingly lacking from their respective coaching setups. Plus, the return of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, a natural successor to Sergio Ramos and overcoming the odds to make it to a game. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by Mina Arzuks Razuki. Arzuks is what Joel Grove called you, Mina, when we were discussing whether or not you'd be on the podcast this week. How do you feel about this nickname? Um, well, there's a there's a guy when I do a show on one of the TV channels and he always calls me Arzuki and it's been like six years and I, <laughs> no, and I sort of don't want to be like, it's, it's been wrong for so long. Have I been, say, like, have I been saying Razuki correctly? You have, Good. but I don't know how to correct him now. So every time I walk in, even if it's like a pub on a Christmas party, he's like, Arzuki! And I'm like, that's just not my name. <laughs> like, okay. I'm very, very relieved I've been getting it right. Alongside her, it's JJ Contains Taurine Bull. How are you? I like oh, that. I see. Yes, I'm good. How are you, Tom? Pretty good, thank you. Feeling quite sprightly. A little bit sadder than I was this time last week because my Minnesota Vikings are out of the playoffs. But yeah, yeah. What a ride! Your strong Minnesota ties. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they go deep. I've been three times. Wow. Yeah. Isn't Tom it's Brady out? That's great. <laughs> Tom, Tom Brady's Tom Brady's out in more ways than one. Oh. He's gone. It's over. It's over. The dynasty is over. Completing the AFC Telegraph lineup. It's Alistair, victory lap Tweedale, making his final appearance on the podcast, sadly. Yeah, uh, very, very sad. Uh, news to Mina. Yeah, well, I'll tell you about that later. But um, yeah, don't, yeah, don't um, say where you're going. We'll just bleep it yeah. if you try and say where you're going. Yeah, yeah. well, this is a UK exclusive right here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm all right, thanks. Yeah, good. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to Why have Why are we you. having him on if it's the city's over? Yeah, ask, ask Joel Grove. One of the number of questions you can ask Joel Grove, oh, including Ali, the we'll new nickname. You. Good that we've left this till we were recording. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's start on the actual football with Spurs and Liverpool, who played an exciting game on Saturday. Uh, you were there, JJ. Um, Liverpool, again, a little bit fortunate with how this went to secure their 1-0 win, but they won again. This is how you win league titles, isn't it? Just grinding it out. Even though they were brilliant in the first half, they were fortunate that Spurs didn't score at least once against them. Oh, definitely. And you can see the, the two differences in, the, in how the managers uh, like approach their different teams. Like Liverpool have everything uh, accounted for. So whatever, like a, a free-flowing chess game, if Mourinho makes one one move, Liverpool instantly, like naturally, automatically counter it by doing something else. So at the start, they were pushing high with four. Spurs were pushing high with four, and Liverpool had their four centre backs, but they want uh, four defenders, but they want to get their full backs high. So straight away, Jordan Henderson dropped into a three to the point you think they're actually playing a three at the back to start off with, but they're not. Um, and when Alderman do that on the left, so Robertson can go forward. 
and that was one solution. And then they had later on, they had uh, Aurier was told to mark Robertson to stop him getting these 2v1s against the fullback Tanganga. That's his name, isn't it? Mm. He did really well. But to stop that overload on that side. And then Robertson, rather than going outside, would start going inside. And Aurier couldn't go inside because that's not where he's meant to go. So then he was just stood in his own and Manny pulled out wide. Just really, really clever the way they had it. And I thought Liverpool just looked so so well coached and drilled they don't have to talk to anything they're all encouraging each other whereas Spurs seemed a little bit like they're kind of reading the script still and they were kind of looking at each other and like Alderweireld fell out with Ori a couple of times and you had Mourinho on the touchline constantly trying to dictate stuff so you can see there's real work in progress Watching this game the first half especially Mina I felt that defending against Liverpool must be actively traumatic they're such a nuisance to play against I'm surprised that defenders aren't going off crying basically (laughs) Uh, How on earth do you cope with them? What's interesting about this is that I felt that it looked so traumatic because this is what's so interesting because ages ago I tried to figure out what's the difference between a big team and and one that just wins all the time. And um, sort of Atletico Madrid win all the time, but they don't have an intimidating aura. Liverpool have reached that ability now they, they just threat, they look scary and so when you're on the pitch you're not actually playing Liverpool you're already starting 1-0 down because you're playing their reputation and so I felt like Spurs were deathly terrified in the, in the first half and they had organised themselves so defensively because it was all about contain try to contain those fullbacks try to contain them and and obviously it's Mourinho so he just loves playing that kind of defensive game and then that's why it looks so scary but once you just sort of try to shake that off and actually try to indulge in your own attacking game then I think that's when you start being a lot better and it, it was strange because with Mourinho I was like you're playing a game that's perfect for Kane or a, or a, or a forward but there is no Kane. So <laughs> I, it was only really very good from them in the very end when they brought on the likes of Lamella and, and, and Lo Celso was amazing as well. Lamella um, changed the game specifically because he came on that right side and then they put Tanganga to to left back and already moved back to right. And suddenly Robertson couldn't get forward quite as much. Yeah. And that limited them so much. And he so pressed much. really heavily from the front. I thought yeah. that he was... Won the ball a few times. Liverpool get tired as well. And then they yeah. were getting those chances in the counter at Classic Mourinho. And like I was saying before, if Sun had taken that chance that he missed, skied over the bar. and uh, There were several. The Celsa, yeah, they, they could quite easily have come away. And if they had, everyone would be going, oh, Mourinho, what a tactical masterclass that was. I think Absolutely. he got everything right. It just didn't pay off. But he only got it right in... in the latter half. No, but it, I, I agree with JJ. I think he got it completely right and he did say afterwards... That, Even from uh, the start. He, did, he, didn't, he yeah. did say afterwards that if they'd played the way they did for the last, last 20 minutes for longer, exhausted. they would have just been exhausted mm. and that's completely mm. true. And yeah. he had to just contain it. He had to ad, ad, accept that Tottenham are completely inferior to Liverpool, which they are at mm. the moment. And that last 20 minutes, they, yeah, they could have got a result. I thought they actually did quite well. Um, I don't know if I completely agree that Liverpool were fortunate completely because I thought they were completely superior yeah, for the I first they 70 dominated minutes it, yeah. and Tottenham arguably were quite lucky to only be 1-0 down by that point but having got to that point and then with 20 minutes to go turning to Lamella and Lascelles so it actually worked quite well for Spurs I genuinely wondered whether that was part of the game plan that Mourinho was trying to push those four against the back four so they would get tired from having to chase because like from goal kicks they would play the goal kick short to Alderweireld inside the box 
Um, if so this then, was a game plan, then I'm amazed because it did not look like a game plan. <laughs> you, you got it tired like them out, panic. right? Yeah. And they looked tired towards the end. And Klopp says they were tired. And uh, I think they Andy Robertson afterwards even said that they felt it a bit like it's. And if, if you can do this and then tire them out a bit, you'll get chances at the end. That's when you make mistakes, right? Because even though your your legs are, st- you can still run and uh, and pass the ball, but you start making little errors, like Joe Gomez playing stupid passes across the yeah. middle of the park, yeah. stuff like that. So you but, think that was the game plan? Is just to like let's exhaust them, let's play this game, sort of like you're saying, different. A little bit, and then we'll just go for it at the end. I think it might have been. It, I just don't know how fit he expects the players to be because they looked. T- I mean, Mura was running constantly. Someone's running constantly. Mm. Ali's had to do it as well. But it does then tire out those defenders who often aren't put one v one with players, and it meant they had like a block of six behind them to protect the rest of the pitch. It sort of worked, sort of didn't. But I wonder whether that was part of the thinking that we'll put subs on about seventy minutes and really have a bit of a push at that point. I think it definitely, it definitely was. I just. I'm confused as to whether the kind of the way what you were just starting to explain before I rudely interrupted you, sorry, was that Tottenham would take goal kicks short, get oh, yeah. it passed straight back to Gazaniga, and then mm. he would lump it up the pitch towards tiny, yeah. tiny Lucas Mora under loads of pressure, and Tottenham would just lose it again and again and again. Um, but then later it started to work weirdly. It but was the that, so the plan because that, they I kept think. trying to overcome the midfield, which was really bothering no, me. No, I, I understand it was so why. He, I understand why he would do it, but why? Yeah. Why create a situation where your goalkeeper is under pressure? Well, I, I think re- the reason for that quickly is that um, the goal kick went short to, to Alderweireld to go back to Gazaniga because obviously from a goal kick you can't be offside. So Liverpool's defence drops a bit deeper. But once oh, okay. the ball goes back, they push up, and right. that means you can hit it. And then you had an example where Gomez and uh, Van Dijk went for the same ball. It's genius. It dropped, went to Sun, and then he was able to burst away with it. Oh. Very much like the Dickensian nickname for Lucas Moore, a tiny Lucas. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that, that speaks to what I'd like to ask next, which is how ruined are Spurs without Harry Kane at the moment, Ali? And... Um, is there an argument for just splurging a little bit in January? We know January is a tough time to buy, but do they just bite the bullet and spend some money on a striker, any striker? Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Um, I think Tottenham are kind of caught in between a, a rock and a hard place because they they need a striker that can hold the ball up. Um, with the way they were playing uh, against Liverpool, they needed someone to be able to relieve some pressure on the defence because Liverpool just kept coming, kept coming when Son and Lucas kept uh, kept losing it. Um, but they don't want to just buy like a target man. And uh, for those final 20 minutes, they were looking good playing the ball around on the floor rather than if they'd had a Fernando Llorente, for example, they would have just What's been he up to? lumping it out of the pitch. Well, well like he was great. Um, he's at Napoli, isn't he? Um, yeah. But he, he is he, being um, he, thought of as being potentially a player that's going to come back. So well, he, he would. He he was great for in a sense, but I do think that Spending big in January, players cost more money and doing but that right now. out of curiosity, now, wouldn't you want to just bring him in for, like you're saying, the first 70 minutes, lump it forward, then he can control? Well, would 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 we have preferred, uh, would Tottenham fans have preferred to have played those last 20 minutes, lumping it up to Lorente or doing what we did? Bringing no, on I'm two- saying as in do it for the first 70 minutes and then in the final 20 minutes take off your lump mm. and then <laughs> or you know would you have a lump no lump's good, lump's good. <laughs> yeah. lump and the then play that beautiful yeah. way yeah. you know yeah, 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 but maybe. you're saying that that beautiful way that works that it's too exhaustive to play for the whole time so have your lump for the first yeah, while yeah absolutely I, I don't disagree <laughs> with that um, I just wonder whether buying that player in January uh, on more than a six month loan um, which because probably buying some, getting someone for a six-month contract is pretty difficult, um, and spending that much money is worth it. 
I don't know. I do think we've solved it here. Lumpy Lorente <laughs> next to Tiny Lucas. Classic big man, little man. It's either the new Spurs strike partnership or a brilliant sitcom. Let's move on to Doomwatch, topic two. Uh, we're going to have a run through the teams who are in trouble. There's quite a few teams who could be a little bit concerned at the moment in the Premier League. Real disaster, Mina, for Bournemouth on Sunday. Build as a must-win game at home to Watford, and they've lost it 3-0. What's going so wrong for them at the moment? I think this is something that they're not really used to having to deal with. Um, this is a side that's obviously always been capable of scoring goals. It's a it's a side that has a coach who many people think is better suited to a bigger club with better players. I don't think they're a team that is really ready to do the whole bump and grind and try to win every duel, um, which is actually something that I... <laughs> what the bump and grind? <laughs> that is that's surely not... <laughs> Surely not the bump and grind. I don't think I've heard that term used in football. I like it. <laughs> okay, well, I meant the grind. I don't know why bump ne- and grind leave the bump came out into of it. it. <laughs> the bump um, and the lump. For the, this is getting really bad. Um, you know, the grind and the grafting and the trying to like you know be warriors at the end and trying to win the jewels. I think this is a tough time for them in that. I actually also think the same of Norwich. I don't think they're a team that are set out capable of doing that because they're a team that are supposed to play expansive football. What worries me about this, and I know that... Um, I know that Eddie Howe is a great manager, but I also think that there comes a time sometimes when your team is really falling apart, which they are. And, and I do feel sorry for them because they've had so many injuries and trying to get this all back on when the confidence is low, even when you're getting players back, it's very difficult. But sometimes it is about, let's just get back to basics. Um, let's just do the simple things. Maybe not play out from the back because it just looks like that all of you are so short of confidence. Let's try to figure out a way of just doing a little bit of what Nigel Pearson is doing at Watford, you know, just back to basics, high intensity, and let's try to see what can happen there. Yeah, a few big games coming up for Bournemouth against their rivals. And if you look at their fixtures, the end of the season is is really intimidating for them. So we'll see how that goes. I reckon, Ali, them or Burnley, who are also in trouble, might be about to do the unthinkable. And you would have thought, I personally, I think Howe and Dyche have earned the right to, <laughs> rele- if, they, if they get the teams relegated, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that if I was in charge of those clubs because it's their promotion in both cases um but i reckon one of these teams might be about to pull the trigger and what would that mean for burnley or bournemouth if they did that i remember when spurs appointed Mourinho, someone said well we're just like all the other clubs now which was a little bit pompous but it would be a a serious change of tack if either of these teams did do that do you think it's likely and what would it mean for Burnley or Bournemouth if they got rid of their manager? Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? I I completely agree. I think they've earned the right to just be able to see out the season. Um, But uh, maybe that's a bit sort of patronising for uh, two two teams that maybe want to dream of bigger things. They're they're two small clubs, but they've established themselves in the Premier League. Maybe they should start thinking about uh, bigger things. Um, I don't I don't know what it would mean uh, really. It would be be quite a statement, wouldn't it, from from both of them? Uh, I I do wonder with both of the managers, both of them, whether it's just gone a little bit stale. They've both been there a long time. They they don't really change their tactics that much. Um, Eddie Howe is just obsessed with playing 4-4-2. I mean, he's not mm. like a Harry Redknapp, we, we play 4-4-2 kind of manager, but <laughs> but he he just will not change that. He just or, or almost never changes that. And I, I don't know if uh, maybe it's time for someone to, for him to realise that something needs to change and maybe the same for Deitch, I don't know. 
Another team in big trouble are Aston Villa, JJ. They were really wretched at home to Manchester City. Danny Drinkwater looking every inch the footballer who has barely played any football this season. And Pepe Reina in the stands who you might think on this evidence would reconsider his move to Villa. They look really, really poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you'd think you'd be a little bit worried about what you saw. Uh, City were really on it, to be fair. And um, there's not much you can really do. And uh, like the mistakes that Drinkwater made are just those of a player kind of rusty he won't do them again but he'd need to have made them first to Keeper was poor for a few of those goals as well wasn't he uh, yeah he's their backup keeper isn't he yeah, is they're it, just, it his debut I just don't think Aston get him out rubbish <laughs> I don't think Aston Villa are that good I, no. I've been saying that I think all season I'm pretty yeah, sure if we go through the podcast you, said yeah. that as you, say, well. you say it now Matt isn't here yeah. what about Norwich as well Mina the air seems to have gone out of their balloon whatever was left in it at this point big uh, defeat away at Man United no big surprise there but um, a sense of uh, increasing pessimism about where their season's going yeah, yeah I mean it's a team that doesn't really know how to defend um, Villa are the as well as is that side that just seems to be so reactive and it they you know there's no proactive defending going on um also with Norwich it's because they've played this specific style of way and it's really difficult for them to try to change that especially because their squad seems to be one that has more raw talent than sort of, and that is trying to find its way more than talent that can produce on a consistent basis so i'm not sure they've got the balance there Completely right, but I I would say them alongside Villa. I don't know, maybe Burnley or, or Bournemouth. Norwich are definitely what I've written down. going down, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, Norwich like, have to go down. Norwich are doing exactly what Huddersfield uh, did before they tried to change everything too late. Just sticking to that same style of football and championship. Like, oh, it's so admirable and brave of you. Well done as you sink to the bottom of the ocean on your <laughs> holy ship. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm, everyone was like, oh, look at them, look at them, how beautiful they are going forward. It was like, yeah, but they can't defend, you know? You can't play like that unless you've got the players who are good enough. I, mean, I think Buendia's really special. Kenny McLean's a decent player. Cantwell's really will be special. good. Max Aaron's will be really good. Sam Byron will be really good. Mm. But All of them will be. There. They're yeah. not there yet. Yeah. Timo Puki wins the Danny Kadamateri award for having a very, very exciting first month of a season and then not being very good after that. Along with Pavel, <laughs> Pavel Pogrebniak. Oh, I love Pogrebniak. Let's hark all the way back to Saturday lunchtime now and a one-all draw between Crystal Palace and Arsenal at Selhurst Park. Aubameyang scored and sent off in the same game. That's the first time it's happened for Arsenal since Mikel Arteta himself did it at Palace in 2013. It felt like the United win, JJ, would be the start of something, uh, a bit of momentum for Arteta. Did this feel a little bit like they were back to square one? Uh well, I didn't think they'd turned a corner like everyone says <laughs> once they beat Man United. Is just you can see there's different bits in their play and they are doing different things under Arteta. Uh, the structure of the team, the the shape, the players he's brought in, Ozil's back, but it's still the same players that have been inconsistent all season and for a couple of seasons now. And I don't, it's going to take time, coaching, probably another players to be brought in. It's the whole culture of the club is kind of. I don't know how you describe it. It's just that's that's sort of good enough. They don't put the extra bit of. No one seems uh, hugely wholly determined to make sure they win at all costs. It seems more like they'd rather avoid losing. If that makes sense. And there's but, a difference to some players. Some of them are just like, I have to win this. Yeah, I, know. I feel like what you. 
I guess what that you can see in terms of turning a corner is that you can actually see a plan now, which we may have not seen before. For sure, yeah. Um, and so that's what it is. It's just that organization that kind of fills you with a, bit, with a bit of hope. The results are not coming, but the performances are a little bit better. And I do think it's a case of having several windows to change this team around and not just bring in the right players, but bring in players, exactly like JJ said, that actually care about winning and, and having like a nice mix of experience, talent that's coming up, you know, uh, players that can be organized and 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 it's going to take a while to do that warriors players who are perhaps more elegant in their touch it, it, it is about a few years but you can actually have hope with Arteta because what he's producing at least is a clear sense of an identity and organization he just doesn't really have all the players he wants I also think there's a there's a clear kind of intensity to how they're playing and especially how they're starting games at the moment and they don't really seem like they're currently possibly fit enough or can concentrate for long enough to sustain it over an entire 90 minutes. I think it's and concentration. I, agree, I, also, yeah. I also have some stats to back this up. Um, <laughs> so uh, the first half of Arteta's four Premier League games, they've won three and lost one. The second half of his four Premier League games, they've won one, drawn one and lost two um, of those 45-minute periods. So they are clearly tailing off in the second half of games like we saw against Chelsea when in the last eight minutes they fell, fell to mm. pieces. What about Palace? I mean, they're quite good performance from them to get back into the game. And they've signed uh, Cenk Tosin from Everton, former brief friend of the podcast before we all turned against him when it looked like he might be a bit rubbish. Um, <laughs> is he going to revive his career at Palace? He did say when he joined Everton, he was happy that he hadn't joined Palace. So he's got some uh, some fans to win over there. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing that this is going to come back and, and haunt him uh, desperately. But this is a side like... 19 what 19 goals in 21 games and I do think that maybe perhaps with the front line that does have Alfred Zaha producing magic for you all the time this will at least help take the pressure off him of Jordan Ayew and perhaps uh, allow them to be really strong in certain matches but I, d I don't know whether he's going to work out or not obviously we've seen that he's not this great player but uh, they seem they've now they've seem to have replaced Christian Benteke a striker who doesn't score with Cenk Tosin who is a striker, a striker who doesn't, doesn't score, score. And so you get, I just don't know what's it's a weird center, right? just maybe, a maybe that's the identity <laughs> of the club you know we're always full of praise for managers with an identity and a philosophy and next year it'll be Joe Linton <laughs> yeah and then Danny Kadamateri <laughs> uh, we should also discuss one other thing that happened at that Palace game there were leaflets being distributed outside there were banners in the stands protesting VAR please start the clock Joel Grove uh, as you know we will only discuss VAR for one minute I've already wasted some of that minute by uh, <laughs> stating the conceit do you think Ali that fans protesting in this way is going to make any sort of difference to how the league handles VAR in future there's also players now more and more players saying we don't want this yeah I do um, I do think that uh, the protest will uh alert the authorities a little bit. I do also think that it was quite a good weekend for VAR and the problem that Declan Rice had wasn't with VAR, it was with the handball rule, which is obviously rubbish. Um, but I do, yeah, the VAR isn't a complete product. It's not perfect. It needs a bit of change. But so, yeah. But to be honest, I don't get it as well. Like, there's a lot of people who are like, you know, walk over to the sideline if you're the referee and referee the game, you make a decision. Then the guy goes and does it, and everyone's like, oh my God, this has taken so long. It's <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. And I'm like, Jesus, no one's ever happy. Where are you at with it, JJ? I still think it's the, the, some of the laws are being applied in the wrong sort of way. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid that's it. Uh, well. <laughs> Also, that, that handball that Rice was moaning about, I mean, they only scored because the ball was headed off his hand. I know it's point blank, but come on. What, you're saying you, you it know, was a handball? You know when the ball's come off your hand. Oh, yeah. So he should have known that it was coming. Yeah. Yes. Oh, right. yeah. I mean, if you're playing like five, you know when the ball's come off your hand, right? Yeah, you yeah. know. 
Yeah, yeah, like oh, of course. You yeah, know yeah. you got away with I, it. I've got this uh, idea that if you if you know that you if you're through on goal and you know you've t- it's touched your hand, you you should try and win a corner because unless you recycle possession, go all the way back to your goalie, you know that it's going to get ruled out if you try and score. <laughs> so if you, if you win a corner and then score from that. Just start a new can, phase of It can play. count. Love yeah. that. That's well smart. done. Like Clever. It. If you get a drop as a set piece, sign code. him up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's where he's going. <laughs> Hello, I'm Marianne Jones, and I'm the editor of The Telegraph magazine, which means I spend my week overseeing every page, from the front cover to hard hitting news reports, columns, and lifestyle features. We go to print weekly, so we have a little bit longer to craft our journalism using our award-winning writers and fantastic art and photography teams. That means we can publish long-form pieces that really get to the heart of the story. Just recently, our cover interviews with Joaquin Phoenix and James Middleton made global headlines – while our writer Mick Brown's investigation into false memory syndrome won a major press award. And the fact of the matter is, we couldn't have done all of this without our subscribers. Without them, we just can't commission the stories you like reading or make podcasts like this one. Why not try out a 30-day subscription to The Telegraph completely free? Go to thetelegraph.co.uk slash audio. Let's rattle through the rest of the Premier League now and we'll talk about some of the teams who were winners this weekend over the teams we mentioned in the Doom Watch section. First of all, Watford, JJ, they've overtaken Bournemouth in the table. Did you ever doubt Nigel Pearson? This is a remarkable series of results for him. I'm really glad he's doing so well with them. Like he was the one that put the foundations in place for Leicester. Obviously, that was the most famous thing he's kind of done. Uh, he's quite uh, apart from that ostrich uh, quote, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, choking yeah, James McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's done some other things, but like he's a <laughs> an interesting character. Uh, I quite like having those in the game. He knows how to set a team up, and what Watford players have said is that he's come and given them a rocket and also organised them, and it's worked. Watford have a team that should be in mid table, and he's getting them where they should be. I think they were always going to get out of that hole. Probably not with the other managers. So am I, am I contradicting myself? Maybe. But I like what Nigel Pearson is doing. Uh, like we are saying before, Bournemouth are kind of pretty rubbish at the moment. But Watford should be all right. And you've seen, you've seen the teams now get to the places in the table where they'll probably end up. What about Chelsea, Mina? They cruised to a straightforward home win for the first time in a while against Burnley, a 3-0 victory for Chelsea. How did they do it? I think that on a tactical level, I'll refer to JJ on that. But I do think that their right-hand side is rather thrilling to watch. Uh, They've got Rhys James and Callum Hudson-Odoi on the right. And you just feel like their understanding, having been playing together for so long, uh, allowed uh, all all sorts of brilliance on the right-hand side. Um, I do think it's about getting certain players closer to goal. Uh, feeling confidence. Also, you have to look at the opponent. Like, I'm sorry, it is Burnley, so I don't know how much to take out of this at they've, the moment. They've had problems, though, against teams you wouldn't have thought would have given them any problems. They've lost at home true. to West Ham and Southampton quite recently. No, you're absolutely right about that. Um, I think it's just a, a case of this is what happens with Chelsea at the moment. I don't want to read into it because in, in many ways it is youth and I don't want to always expect consistency from them. But at the same time, um, when they have it and when they're allowed to play at their, their full force, and you can see you can see the talent of the kids. You're starting to mix up a bit as team. So, you, I mean, you put Ross Barkley into this game, 
rather than Kovacic, which means you've got a player who can break lines with the ball rather than just more direct. It. Yeah. yeah. So it looks like a four-two-three-one in paper, but it's more of a four-four-three-three, and Mount will drop left of Jorginho, who controls the play, and then you've got Barkley driving forward to break lines, and Mount will bring the ball and make a pass. I think Hudson Odoi is really special. Like it makes things happen all the time when he's on the pitch. Can Can someone explain why England are producing so many good right backs all of a sudden? <laughs> I like think there's just like an academy like that just says right backs. He's really, really good. It's he mad. is really good. And Scotland are doing left backs. And what happens? Team GB. Oh my God, Team GB. <laughs> Excitement building Bring on for the, the Olympics. Olympics. <laughs> yeah. uh, what about Manchester United, Ali? Like Chelsea, they had a straightforward home win. 4-0 against Norwich. 200 appearances for Marcus Rashford. Good achievement for him, but are we going to be lamenting in years to come that he's had too much too soon and he's going to be knackered in about five years uh, or is he just going to be solid all the way through? Uh, yeah, it's hard to hard to say right now, but um, for the moment, uh, really, really good, wasn't he, on Saturday? Um, just sort of drove, drove United forward, was doing a bit of everything, dropping deep and looking for balls in behind, c- combined with Juan Mata quite well a few times. Um, yeah, um, I, I wonder whether he can ever be centre forward uh, say for England um, he's much better being out on the left with the freedom to kind of roam um, but I, d- I don't know I don't know if he'll he'll burn out he is a bit over relied on isn't he for can such I, a young player can I just say something as in it, when it comes to Marcus Rashford firstly I, I think he's a phenomenal talent um, a lot of people were talking about oh you know should they have really let go of Lukaku and I was like you know Rashford's not doing the job at centre forward all he needs is players around him players who can help him if it's Juan Mata if it was Paul Pogba if it's Anthony Martial every time you put somebody in with him that can help him out he always provides and, and does something really special what I think with Rashford you have to also look at is while other players and young players have had the benefit of stability and excellent coaching people who have been around to develop them or at least really great coaches if you are a Chelsea that keeps changing its uh, manager he is someone who has developed on his own despite the madness that is at Manchester United there isn't a role model for him to look up to there isn't a Scholes or a Giggs or a, or a Rio Ferdinand who he can really like talk to at the end of the day there's just been managers that are more interested in trying to get them out of the hole than actually looking at the youth and being like right what do you need right now while Sterling has benefited from Pep Guardiola while Trent Alexander Andy Robertson whoever it is has been looking at Klopp as, as, as sort of the man who's helping them reach their potential Rashford's having to do this all on his own and he's done a remarkable job considering tactics have changed all the time players have changed the club is free falling so many times and that is why I think for him he is such an extraordinary talent yeah maybe he's like Brian Robson was pre the glory days for Manchester United the one shining talent in quite difficult times it'd be interesting to see how he progresses is that the first time Marcus Rashford has ever been compared to Brian Robson. <laughs> yes, it is. Thank you very much. <laughs> Other side of Manchester, Sergio Aguero is now the all-time leading non-British scorer in the Premier League with 177 goals. Moving past Thierry Henry, Pep Guardiola says he will die scoring goals, which sounded like a threat to me. Um, <laughs> he's still incredibly important for City, JJ, despite the fact he's 31 uh, and it did look for a time like he might be being superseded. I think yeah, Guardiola is just trying to manage him. He gets injured quite a lot and it takes him a bit of time to get back into the groove of things. But, I mean, back in here with a hat-trick, he's one of the best the Premier League's had. It just doesn't seem to be talked about it. Kind of weird. He doesn't look like... I think it's because he doesn't look like a like a number nine because he's kind of small and stocky and you think a number nine should look like Alan Shearer. That's what they look like. And uh, but he's a weird sort of... 
he's, he's, he seems quite small, but yeah, he's he's always in amongst it, like always in the battle with players. I really, really like watching Also, because you always heard stuff about him, sort of like, you know, a bit of a lazy trainer, even they were discussing it on Match of the Day. You know, Doesn't his, learn English. No, yeah, the, the stuff that, like, his diet would consisted of fizzy drinks and red meat and, like, you know, like, just kind of just looks like the guy that really can't be bothered but really talented at the same time, mm, you know? Yeah. But you you get a lot of those. Romario was remarkably, like, terrible like that as well. You know, just wants to go to Carnival, so it's like, I'll score the goals just so I can leave. Aguero is that kid, and, and I think with age, what you're getting as well is is better experience better understanding of how to utilize space and and his his powers at the right time in the right way maybe, maybe everyone will really appreciate him once he's gone yeah oh yeah it's always the case yeah. it was get like yeah it was get a state funeral after they're dead but <laughs> yes. no one appreciates them when they're yeah. alive yeah once he's died from scoring goals. What about <laughs> Southampton a 9-0 defeat versus Leicester earlier this season? And now a 2-1 away win at Leicester. Has there been a bigger turnaround for any team this year than Southampton? And I should say, JJ, at the time of that 9-0 defeat, you were saying you didn't think Southampton were that bad. And I think I was a little bit rude to you for we suggesting that. So, we, uh, all yeah. we all hold yeah. and take responsibility. We, we'll, I'll hold my hands up, JJ. It's I think fine. you might have been right about I just, Southampton. I just like being right. It's good. Mm. Uh, I think Ralph Hasenhuttle is a great manager. Uh, he, they got him at exactly the right age. As my theory of the managers who win things before 43 going to become good and they're at their peak around about 51 years old. I think he's about 51 right now, 52 maybe. Uh, I don't know if you can say great for a guy that lost 9-1. I'm not saying to you that yeah, he's but it's not bad, the manager but... does that, is it? Like if the team just falls apart, then you can do sometimes. You just watch it fall apart. Uh, but he clearly knows how to set that team up. They play really well. He's got them really going. They just, they're organised. He's making a team with all right players paid better than they are I think he'd, if he's at one of the top clubs I think he'd be I mean if he's in charge of Chelsea they'd definitely be pushing like higher than the artist now Oh you think he'd do better than Lampard? I think so I think he'd do well better than Solskjaer at United as well I think, I think he's really really underrated Wow it's, You've been right before about Southampton yeah. this year JJ Let's have some lovely music Yes, it's time for a song for Europe with your friend and mine, Mina Arzuks. Or Razuks, Razuki. Uh, we've got to start with Zlatan, haven't we, Mina? A goal on his second debut for AC Milan. Yep, that's it. It's the return of Zlatan. Um, poor Milan. I just feel like it's been such a rough time for them recently. And they are a side that actually produce a lot of chances. They're a their problems have been in the fact that they don't know how to take it. And now that they've got Zlatan, who uh, offers a little bit of a leadership, it's a wise head in a very young squad, and um, he's obviously making the difference. And everyone was just like, oh, is he going to get tired because he can't play a full 90 minutes? He hasn't played in a month. But you know what? He stayed on for the whole time, scored the goal, felt really like energised. And you could see there's a, a somewhat change in him because he's not getting angry with his teammates when they don't deliver. He's encouraging them. And I wonder whether that's just, you know... Yeah, comes with age, doesn't it? Yeah, it comes with age when you're just like, oh, let's try to help these kids now. Scored in four different decades now, which is a stat I love. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And now he's he's going to honestly try to outscore Lukaku. He's going to try to outscore Ronaldo. He's going to try to enter in this weird competition and, and just and, and win everything in his head. Yeah, goal for Ronaldo in Juve's 2-1 win over Roma. They're two points clear at the top. But what about Lazio? Ten wins in a row for them. Are they going to sneak into the title race? And, and how are they doing it? They are in the title race. Um, a lot of it is based on luck, I've got to say. You know, like, I mean, this was a Napoli... You know, Napoli have obviously been really suffering recently and they always do manage some good performances at, at times and then end up losing for some reason because they can't... Um, really score the goals that they need to. But with this, it was Immobile getting it at the, you know, uh, because of a Ospina 
problem and mistake at the back and they just nicked it again and you're just thinking wow like Lazio are on this like amazing run at the moment they're feeling so confident even if they get a half chance they'll try everything they can because they're feeling that confidence at the moment they have to be spoken about um, they are six points behind Juve but they've got a game in hand at the moment and so then they'll effectively only be three under them and and one between them and Inter but there's also sort of it's it's one it's interesting to see because I feel like Roma could also be spoken about. I know that they didn't win against Juventus and they lost uh, uh, Nicolo Zaniolo to an ACL injury. Juventus, can I just say something? Uh, have just also potentially lost Deborah for a while, and this is the centre back that Leicester have been looking at. That several teams have been looking at. He is quite genuinely one of the best centre backs I've ever seen play at this age. Like the way that he's playing. How old is he now? He's 21, um, just one year older than Matthias De Ligt, and he's De Ligt is on the bench for Demiral at the moment. Oh, yeah. And he's just this kid that's like, you know, he, he arrived for, what, 18 million from Sassuolo. They bought him from a Turkish team. Um, he was at Sporting before, so he knows how to speak several languages. He's like Ronaldo's best friend. He's Dybala's best friend. And he's just this amazing talent at the back. And if Juve have seriously lost him to an injury, which Sadi says it's a serious injury, but we, we will know more today, then it's a huge loss for them as well, in my opinion. Hopefully, Kalini can come back from ACL, but otherwise, we're going to, I mean, they have to go back to Delicht and Ponucci, and it doesn't work as well. Spanish Super Cup in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Ernesto Valverde said that they were only there because of the money. Is it good to see people speaking out about this sort of thing? And, and how was that received? It's been spoken a lot about in, in Spain about the fact that it is just simply there for the, they're all there for the money. It's 120 million to play the Supercopa. Uh, for three years in Saudi Arabia. It's something that Italy has already done. Um, and they feel like they have to do these types of things now, potentially selling a game to, you know, to be played in the States or whatever it is to try to generate the kind of income that is or that is so readily available in the Premier League, whereas Spanish and Italian clubs have to look for different ways to try to make money, basically. And this is one of it. The Supercoppa is traditionally between the team that has won the league and the team that's against the team that's won the Coppa. But they've now turned it into this mini competition with four teams. Um, just they, to... they only did that because Real Madrid had to be there because of part of the contract. Exactly, uh, because it is about it's selling it to Saudi Arabia and as a product. So Real Madrid are now Super Cup champions, having come third in the league and not even making the final of the Copa del Rey last season. That Amazing. Is, it's all about the money. Can we just talk about uh, Fede Valverde's tackle as well last hey, night? You watched um, that. I watched it and it was a really, really atrocious game. It was nil-nil. It was just rubbish. Nothing really <laughs> happened. Um, it was just too hot. It went to extra time, which no one wants. And obviously, extra time is always boring. And then Alvaro Morata gets put clean through on goal. And Fede Valverde cannot catch him and just completely swipes him out. It was absolutely amazing. Red, oh. red card. And then he had the cheek. So with the, it was very similar to the Solskjaer one. On um, Rob Lee, on yeah. Rob Lee. And Solskjaer got up and was just like, yeah, no, that's a red card. Fede Valverde decided to square up to everyone that would, <laughs> anyone that would come he's near a kid. him. He was just like, what? What? What do you think? What do you think I'm going to do? And then as he walked off, uh, Diego, opposite, opposition manager Diego Simeone, gave him a tap on pat on the back of the head and kind of like, yeah, I, I like. <laughs> this is that. how well I like done. you. <laughs> well um, done. Also, because it's interesting, because actually, did you see Jao Felix and how Barcelona sort of ganged up on him? Yeah. Um, so maybe it's a case of like this is happening a lot with the kids, but Valverde did come out afterwards and then just said, you know, I'm sorry, I had to do it, but he, otherwise, you know, Morata was going to score, so yeah. something I had to do. Good for him for enlivening a dull game. 
Let's finish up by talking about the Stevenage manager, Graham Wesley. Of course, as is traditional, the Graham Wesley slot at the end of the show, who abandoned his car and ran the five miles to make it to their game against Port Vale. I'm going to ask you all, what is the biggest hurdle you've overcome to make a football match, JJ? I got given the wrong postcode to play five-a-side down the road from here. <laughs> and so oh, I, had no. to, I had to run from Southwark to a bit in Elephant and Castle I couldn't find. That's quite far. That's not that far. Uh, it is when you're running all around it. I think How it did you is, perform I, in the game? Uh, I got there halfway through and I did all right. It was yeah. just five-a-side. I think that Depends is quite far. It's just, not, it's just not as far as five miles. Yeah. Which is absolutely five ridiculous. Miles. I think I ran about a mile and a half probably, maybe a bit more to get there. How about you, Ali? Um, on him. I once uh, was going to a uh, Saturday game and we just kind of followed someone who said they knew where we were going. And after a while, having got off a train out into the uh, countryside, basically, we were just walking and walking and walking. After a while, we kind of went, uh, are we nearly there? And we checked and we'd got off two stops too early. And then he directed us... Um, just so, so we decided to go the most direct route via Google Maps, and we ended up walking across fields, private land, climbing like fence barbed wire fences, and running across. And then it turned up five minutes before the game, and our captain was just standing there. We, we sort of climbed through a bush <laughs> out of the out of the wrong side of the football pitch to the where the like pavilion was, um, and just ran across sort of. Uh, head down in a shame. Amazing. Diego Simeone would love that as a pre-match <laughs> preparation. How about you, Mina? I don't think you've climbed through any bushes to get to a football match. <laughs> I'm going to say that now. It. That is very off-brand for Mina Rizuki. No, I don't think I would ever go through any of this to get to a game. I'd just go home. But I can tell you a funny story that when I went to the Carter final, um, we, we tapped in the address of the, you know, like the home address to go back by GPS. And about two hours into our journey back to London, we were like... Why are there so many fields? <laughs> and I was like, okay, we should, we kind of should be in down now, you know. And uh, we realised we had reached like Plymouth, <laughs> oh um, and uh, or were on our way there at least. And um, yeah, that was the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. So basically, what we had done is just extended the journey by another two and a half hours, and so it took us about a full five to get back home after that. Awful business. You must have one, Tom. No. Well. I was thinking about this, and I did a ridiculous trip around France for Euro 2016. You did, um, yeah. Uh, sponsored by a brilliant car company. That uh, <laughs> you couldn't drive. <laughs> All right, come on. There's no need to, there's no need to reveal that. But, uh, QPR fans. In retrospect, in retrospect, driving to Paris, from Paris to Marseille in a day is not a great idea. And then when you get to Marseille, uh, arriving more or less in the middle of where it was all kicking off between England and Russia fans... Uh, it was a frightening moment, uh, but we bravely checked into our hotel uh, <laughs> amongst uh, amongst some people who uh, had head wounds, um, and then uh, and watched the game at the fan zone. So you know, got there in the end, a little bit tired, but you know, she made the effort. Yeah. yeah. Cheers, Kia. <laughs> <laughs> That's your lot for this week. You can contact me on Twitter if you'd like to before next week's episode. My name is at Tom with an H Gibbs on Twitter. In real life, it's much the same, except there's a space between the two words and there's no at symbol at the beginning of it. I'm glad we've cleared that up. Don't forget to send us an email if you'd like to. It's at afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk. There's no at at the beginning of that either. You can work it out as an email address. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Audio Football Club are the words you need to type into a search bar. Find us from there backing you. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. Thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again. Soon. 
when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.